Hello and welcome to Speak the Words of Cosmere Podcast. I'm Sean. And I'm Mango. This is a podcast where I slowly but surely walk Mango through the story of the Stormlight Archive and the Cosmere overall, one book at a time. We're currently on Oathbringer, about to finish Oathbringer. Oh my god, it's been so long we've been doing this book. Yeah. It's a long-ass book. It is a long, long book. Wasn't the beginning of the book, like, Kaladin finding out he has a baby brother? That was yep, this that book. Was the, oh my gosh. That was, yes. That was, like, years ago. Uh, Rhythm of War is just as long, if not a little bit longer. Although, I, I've said it a couple times, there's a lot of stuff I would cut out of Rhythm of War when I'm explaining it to you. So I think Rhythm of War might end up being shorter than this, just because I'm cutting, I'm trimming some of the, the fat that really works when you're reading a book, but when I'm just kind of telling you about it, it, it's not as interesting. Moving on. So last time, uh, uh, last couple times, uh, the, the Knights Radiant defended Thalen City against Odium's forces. That's pretty much what we've been doing for the past, like, two weeks. <laughs> so... Mm-hmm. Uh, that's all done. Uh, our heroes have won. They trapped the thrill. And everything is sunshine and rainbows. I'm sure it is. We start right now with chapter 121. It is titled Ideals. And it has Moash's symbol. The epigraph reads, It becomes the responsibility of every man, upon realizing he lacks the truth, to seek it out. From the way of kings, postscript. And we start in Moash's POV. Moash is breaking rubble in the Kolinar Palace, right by where he killed Elokar. And uh, from the book, shouldn't Moash have felt pleasure, or at least satisfaction? Instead, killing Elokar had only made him feel cold. He's ordered to break down a specific wall, which he finds odd as it's an important wall, like it, it holds up a lot of the palace. Um, and then the fuse that he'd killed way earlier in the book, Leshwi, arrives. She implies that there's a reason for them destroying that specific wall, but doesn't explain it to him. Of course not. No, of course not. You'll learn by the end of the book. By the end of tonight, I guess. Your passion does you credit. I have no passion. Just numbness. You have given him your pain. He will return it, human, when you need it. That would be fine, so long as he could forget the look of betrayal he'd seen in Kaladin's eyes. She tells him to go up to the king's chambers where some of the fused are reading, and another, Hanan, a leader among the fused, tells him that Odium has a job for Moash. You have killed a king, she said, removing something from her robes. A strange knife with a sapphire set into the pommel. The weapon was of a bright golden metal. Would you do the same to a god? And then we cut to Navani's point of view. To a god? To a god. Navani embraces Dalinar on the field of Thalen City and shoes away Lopin and Kaladin. Are they telling him to kill, like, a god-god or to kill Ash? Mm -hmm. What's gonna happen? He tells, uh, Dalinar tells Navani that cultivation had the memories returned so that he would be ready to face Odium, and thanks Navani for inspiring him to do the trapping in a gemstone trick to the thrill. He gives the gemstone to Navani to study and keep safe, and she says that she had seen strange spheres like this one around Gavilar before he died. Then, he asks her to do something unconventional. He asks her to teach him how to read. Aww. And we cut to Shallan's point of view. And this is where I'm going to read more from the book. Everyone started celebrating. Shallan, Radiant, and Vale just settled down on the wall walk. Radiant worried they'd leave the city undefended in their reverie. Vale worried about looting. Shallan wanted to sleep. Yasna approached. Shalon, are you well? Just tired, Vale lied. You have any you have no idea how draining that was, brightness. I could use a stiff drink. 
I suspect that would help very little. Rest here a while yet. I want to make absolutely certain the enemy is not returning. I swear to do better, Brightness, Radiant said. I wish to fulfill my wardship, to study and learn until you determine I am ready. I will not flee again. I've realized I have very far to go yet. That is well, Shalon. Yasna moved off. Which... which am I? Navani knelt down beside her. Behind, Dalinar accepted a respectful bow from Queen Fen, then bowed back. Navani knelt down beside her. Behind, Dalinar accepted a respectful bow from Queen Fen, then bowed back. Storms, Shalon, Navani said. You look like you can barely keep your eyes open. I'll get you a palanquin to the upper reaches of the city. The oath gate is likely clogged, Radiant said. I would not take a place from others who might be in greater need. Don't be foolish, child. You must have been through so much. My own feet are good enough, Vale said. I'm stronger than you think. No offense, Brightness. Navani pursed her lips, but then was pulled away by Dalinar and Fen's conversation. Radiant decided they could rest for ten minutes. Shallan accepted that. Shallan? She opened her eyes to find Adolin scrambling across the wall to her. He fell to his knees beside her. Don't look at me like that, Vale said. I'm not some delicate piece of crystal. Adolin narrowed his eyes. Truly, Radiant said, I'm a soldier as much as the men atop this wall. Treat me, other than in obvious respects, as you would treat them. Shallan, Adolin said, taking her hand. What? Vale asked. Something's wrong. Of course it is, Radiant said. This fighting has left us all thoroughly worn out. Adolin searched her eyes. She bled from one to the other and back. A moment of Vale, a moment of Radiant, Shallan peeking through. Adolin's hand tightened around her own. There, she thought. That's the one. That's the one I am. He knows. She returns to Shallan for a moment, asking how he is, before being interrupted by Kaladin, Rock, and Lopin landing on the wall. Vale immediately takes over and dismisses Adolin. Radiant says that they need to choose between Adolin and Kaladin, and agrees with Ven- uh, not Venly, with Vale, that Kaladin is a better choice. Shallan forces both of them to shut up and go away, waves to Kaladin, and then goes to find Adolin. And we cut to Venli's point of view. Nearby, some- uh, oh yeah, so Venli is on one of the fleeing singer ships, asking Timber why she had been chosen. Timber says that uh, her kind of spren don't trust the humans anymore after the recreants. Nearby, some of the singers talk about how they don't want to fight the humans, and how they aren't even sure who they are. Timber urges Venli to teach them about the story of the listeners to give them a sort of culture. Venli is unsure because of her role in the downfall of the listeners, but goes to do it anyways. And we cut to Zeth's point of view. Zeth flies above Thalen City to meet with Nail, who had been watching the whole battle. Nightblood is trying to cheer Zeth up, telling him that he just needs more practice. Alright, so Nail start ta starts talking here. He says, I used to be able to feel Zeth's son, Naturo. I used to have compassion. I can remember those days. Before... The torture, Zeth asked. He nodded. Centuries spent on Braze, the place you call damnation, stole my ability to feel. We each cope somehow, but only Ishar survived with his mind intact. He says, regardless, you are certain you wish to follow a man with your oath. It is not as perfect as the law, I know, Zeth said, but it feels right. The law is made by men, so it is not perfect either. It is not perfection we seek, for perfection is impossible. It is inst instead consistency. You have said the words? Not yet. I swear to follow the will of Dalinar Kolin. This is my oath. At the words, snow crystallized around him in the air. He felt a surge of something. Approval? From the hidden spren. I believe that your words have been accepted. Have you chosen your quest for the next ideal? I will cleanse the shin of their false leaders, so long as Dalinar Kolin agrees. We shall see. You may find him a harsh master, 
He is a good man, Nin Sun God. That is precisely why. Nin saluted him, then began to move away. What if we meet on the battlefield? Then we will both fight with confidence, knowing that we obey the precepts of our oaths. Farewell, Zeth Sun Naturo. I will visit you again to oversee your training in our second art, the Surge of Division. You may access that now, but take care. It is dangerous. He left Zeth alone in the sky, holding a sword that hummed happily to itself, then confided that it had never really liked Nin in the first place. And we cut to Shallan's point of view. Shallan spots Kaladin standing on a near t- nearby rooftop as she looks for Adolin. She finally finds him, and he tells her he tells her that he's going to let Kaladin have her. He feels like he's holding her back, and she's just spending time with him because she feels bad for him. And she says, "No. First off, you don't get to treat me like some kind of prize. You don't decide who gets me. I'm an artist, Adolin. I appreciate a nice picture when I see one. Doesn't mean I want to pull it off the hook and go get intimate." Kaladin landed on a roof in the distance. Adolin waved toward him. Shallan, he can literally fly. Oh, and is that what women are supposed to seek in a mate? Is it in the polite ladies' handbook to courtship and family? The Beckna edition, maybe? Ladies, you can't possibly marry a man if he can't fly. If he can't fly, then well, you just have to call it off. Um, and then she kisses him. And uh, he goes, are you sure? And he says... Uh, The world is full of gods and heralds now, and you're one of them. I'm practically a nobody. I'm not used to that feeling. And she says, then it's probably the best thing that's ever happened to you, Adolin Kalin. Well, except for me. She admits that Vale has a thing for Kaladin, but that she's keeping Vale in line, and Adolin is worried about her altars, and she says that she thinks that uh, she stopped it at three. How do you like that, though? Three betrothed instead of one. Some men drool over the idea of such debauchery. If you wanted, I could be practically anyone. But that's the thing, Shallan. I don't want anyone. I want you. That might be the hardest one. But I think I can do it, Adolin. With some help, maybe? And then they kiss again, and we cut to Kaladin's point of view. Kaladin settled down on the edge of a roof, high at the top of Thalen City. We can win, he thought, but each victory scars us a little more. During this whole scene, he's looking at a rock like Tien used to, and he kind of shows it off to Sil, explaining the shifting colors like Tien had to him when they were kids. And Sil says, Don't feel bad. The words have to come in their own time. You'll be alright. I always am. He squinted down at Shallan and Adolin. Oh, them, Sil said? Well, I know that you don't back down from fights. You've lost the round, but... No. Her choice is made. You can see it. I can? You should be able to. I don't think I loved her so. I felt something. A lightening of my burdens when I was near her. She reminds me of someone. And it's, it's Tien. The book doesn't expl- <laughs> explicitly say it, but it, it's Tien. It's true then, he finally said, about the Parshman, that this was their land, their world, before we arrived? That, that we were the Voidbringers? She nodded. Odium is the Void, Kaladin. He draws in emotion and doesn't let it go. You, you brought him with you. I wasn't alive then, but I know this truth. He was your first god, before you turned to honor. Kaladin exhaled slowly, closing his eyes. The men of Bridge Four were having trouble with this idea. Others in the military didn't care. But his men, they knew. You could protect your home. You could kill to defend the people inside. But what if you'd stolen that house in the first place? What if the people you killed were only trying to get back what was rightfully theirs? It got so complicated. Humans had lived upon this land for thousands of years. Could anyone really be expected to let go because of what ancient people had done, no matter how dishonorable their actions? Who did he fight? Who did he protect? Defender? Invader? 
honorable knight, hired thug? He tells Syl that he thinks the Recreants wasn't a single event, but more like what was happening right now. The Radiants were faced with moral dilemmas that they couldn't solve. This worries Syl, but he tells her that the current Radiants are more pragmatic than the more uh, righteous Ancients, and that they won't ab abandon their spren. But he says, finding out what we will do might end up being messy. He flies over to where Bridge 4 is having a meal, and then walks over to talk to Teft, who tells him that Taravangian wants them to fly wounded to the Oathgate. The men wanted a break for food, not that they storming did much. You'd already won this battle when we got here, Cal. I'd be dead if you hadn't activated this Oathgate. Somehow I knew that you would, Teft. I knew you'd come for me. Knew better than I did, then. Kaladin rested his hand on Teft's sh shoulder. I know how it feels. I, I suppose you do. But isn't it supposed to feel better? The longing for my moss is still storming there. It doesn't change us, Teft. We're still who we are. Damnation. Kaladin looked back at the others. Lopin was currently trying to impress Lin and Lauren with a story about how he lost his arm. It was the seventh rendition Kaladin had heard, each a little different. Beard, he thought. He and Lopin would have gotten along well. It doesn't get easier, Aww. Teft. It gets harder, I think, the more you learn about the words. Fortunately, you do get help. You were mine when I needed it. I'll be yours. Teft nodded, but then pointed. What about him? Or what about him? Kaladin realized that Rock wasn't with the rest of the team. He was sitting on the steps of one of the temples, head bowed. He obviously considered what he'd done to be an oath broken, despite it having saved Kaladin's life. We lift the bridge together, Teft. And we carry it. And we cut to Dalinar's point of view. Dalinar stopped in the temple of Telenalot in Thalen City. Did he ever have to fight humans in one of these last stands? Worse, did he ever wonder about what he had done, what we all had done in taking this world? Taravangian shows up, telling Dalinar that he brought surgeons to help the wounded. You abandoned me. You abandoned this city. I assumed that you were going to fall, and so positioned myself in a way that I could seize control of the Coalition. You what? I assumed that the only way for the Coalition to recover from your mistakes was for me to take command. I could not stand with you, my friend. For the good of Roshar, I stepped away. You didn't become King of Yakaved by accident, did you? Taravangian shook his head. It seemed obvious to Dalinar now. How? There's a woman at Carbranth. She goes by the name Dova, but we think she is Bata Ilin, a herald. She told us the desolation was approaching. I had nothing to do with the death of your brother, but once I heard of what incredible things the assassin did, I sought him out. Years later, I located him, and gave him specific instructions. And we cut away, but... Tarvangian is given giving it away to Dalinar. He's telling him the truth. He's telling him that he ordered his murder? Mm-hmm. And that he pulled away from the fight here to let Dalinar die so that he could take control? Why is he telling him the truth? Why is he telling him this? Why um, is telling so, him the truth mm -hmm. the most strategic mm. thing in this moment mm, because I, why is that we know he wouldn't do it if it wasn't also he mentioned that there is a herald working with them who they believe is bata ilin this is not the herald that uh shalon saw in the library sanderson has said two different heralds so presumably there are two different heralds at carbranth there is the one that shalon saw in the library in book one and there is dova who is a member of the diagram and is working with taravanji okay so Ones that we've seen, like physically seen, mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. the current timeline. I'm not talking about like before, like yeah. the 
I'm not talking about Night of Gavilar's Death, because honestly, I don't remember who was okay. there. Okay, yeah. Once we've seen current timeline, Talm, Ash, Nail, um, and the one that Shallan saw. We're hearing yes. about this one. We've heard about Ishar. And then there's also the crazy one in the palace. Oh, yeah! And there was also another herald at the palace the night that Gavilar died that we have not seen in the current So timeline. we've pretty much so seen all of them or heard of all of them. We've seen, yeah, we've seen, we've seen four in the present timeline and have at least heard of eight of them. I'm trying to remember all of the different ones. Like, holy crap. Okay. We haven't seen, okay, there's, there's, I know the two we haven't seen. I, I, I know. We've seen all five men. At some point, we've seen... Uh, I thought you said we hadn't seen Ye Yezrian yet. If you think about it, you're... Let me read one more POV. Is the crazy guy in the palace Yezrian? If you think about all of the heralds that we've seen, we know Ishar is the crazy guy, like, doing a war. We know that there were two heralds the night... Uh, two men there the night of uh, Gavilar's death. And then there was also the crazy guy there on top of the two heralds the night of Gavilar's death. And we know that Taln at that point was still on Braze. So Ishar wasn't there because he's waging war. Taln isn't there because he's on Braze. So that means that the three male heralds that were there that night must be Kalak, Nail, and Yezrian. Kalak and Nail are the ones that are hanging out together. So that leaves Rez Yezrian as the, as the crazy guy. So, okay. Either Kalak or Yezrian is the crazy guy. It, we cut to Moash's point of view. <laughs> Moash stepped down Wait, out of no, the that, Kolinar that palace. That means that Yezrian's the crazy guy. Because Moash's target was, was a... And it wasn't the crazy guy. Moash's Mo target was a particular man who sat giggling in the darkness. A madman with eye color lost to the night. Have you seen me? The man asked as Moash knelt. No, Moash said, then rammed the strange golden knife into the man's stomach. The man took it with a quiet grunt, smiled a silly smile, then closed his eyes. Were you really one of them? Moash asked. Herald of the Almighty? Was, was, was. The man started to tremble violently, his eyes opening wide. Was. No. No. What is this death? What is this death? It's taking me! The man screamed, then looked down at the knife in Moash's hand. What is that? The man trembled, then jerked once, going motionless. When Moash pulled the yellow-white knife free, it trailed dark smoke and left a blackened wound. The large sapphire at the pommel took on a subdued glow. Moash glanced over his shoulder toward the fused hanging in the night sky. This murder seemed a thing that they dared not do themselves. Why? What did they fear? Moash held the knife aloft toward them, but there were no cheers. These broken slaves were the only other witnesses to this moment. The final death of Yezrian, Iazir. Yezerazay Elin, King of Heralds, a figure known in myth and lore as the greatest human who had ever lived. Final death? Final death? What? Something, this was something different. He didn't even get to do anything. This was something different. But this is a, there is a reason that the Fused are uncomfortable with what just happened. Because when you think about the Fused and the Heralds, right, they're similar in, in what they are, right? They're brought back over and over and over again by their god. The fused are brought back over and over and over again by their god. So if the fused have discovered a way to permanently kill the heralds... That means there's a way to permanently kill the fused. 
Yeah, you better hope that doesn't drop into their the enemy's hands. Because <laughs> you guys have gone a long time with... Really, the only way you could permanently die is if, with, if, is if Odium was done with you. And now, there's a way. Oh. But he didn't even get to do anything. Yeah! Fuck Yezrian, though. Wasn't like, he, like, really the... Cares. Wasn't he literally, like, the, the viewpoint person? He was the king of the heralds. Yeah, but... No, uh, in the prelude? Yeah. The prelude was Kalak. Oh, was it? But Yezrian was there. Kalak was meeting with Yezrian. Oh, the viewpoint was Kalak. During the... Yes. Oh. And then Yezrian was the one he was meeting with. So we haven't seen yeah. Kalak... Well, we've seen Kalak in the prologue, but we haven't seen Kalak present day. But he's somewhere. Yeah, the only... He's somewhere. So, I I'll run down the list now. Yezrian's dead, just got killed in Kolinar. Tong and... Uh, uh, well, I'm gonna go with the males, through the males first. Tong is um, with... Uh, Ash. Actually, let me... I'm sorry. Let me, I'm just bringing up the Herald's fucking page so that I can see all their names because I forget some of their names. Um, okay, uh, list. All right, Yezrian, dead in Kolinar. Uh, we're going to hit Nail next. Nail, as we know, is the leader of the Skybreakers. Um, Kalak, we don't know where he is in the present day, but he was there when Gavilar was killed. Taln, we know, is with Dalinar's army. He's, he's here in, uh, in Thalen City. And Ishar is the crazy guy leading a war in one of the other countries. So we've yeah. seen Tom. He's with Ash right now. Nail is currently still yep. leading Skybreakers. Ishar is invading. We haven't seen Kalak. We haven't seen Kalak. Ash is with um, Tom and also yes. destroying art. There's some woman yes. in the library. We don't know who it is. There's a different woman so, helping Taravangian. And then we're missing two. That is... Yeah, so, okay. I, I will tell you... Uh, Sanderson has implied that the one that, um, was seen in the library, her name is Palia. Um, I will, Palia. Uh, the one helping Taravangian is Batar. So that leaves as the heralds, uh, and, and we know that Ash is with Tom. So the two that we don't know the locations of are Chanarach and Videl. Those are the two heralds that we do, we have not seen at all. These are some, uh... These are quite some names. Yes. But yes, that is, that is, we've, we have uh, seen, at, we've at least uh, seen or heard of eight of the ten. And Chanarach and Videl, we've heard nothing about. Well, I figure that the Heralds are probably going to want to die by the, by the end of this. So that they can finally just be done. But yeah, by the I'd end. like them to not <laughs> die before we figure stuff out yet. And don't worry, we're, I mean, we're going to see Ezrian again, because again, Harold flashbacks in the back half, but uh, not in the present true. day. Yeah. Um, Yezrian's, Yezrian's gone in the present day, at least. So he was um, crazy. Ishar was also crazy. Like, visibly. fucking crazy. I mean, they're all crazy, but they were visibly crazy without healing from it the way, like, Tom apparently did. Well, well. Well, I wouldn't say healed, but he snapped out of it. Yeah, let, let's, uh, let's finish. Let's keep going. Yeah, so we cut to Lopin's POV. Lopin leaped behind a rock, then grinned, spotting the little spren tucked there. Found you, Nako. Rua transformed into the shape of a petulant little young boy. Rua was his name, but Nako was, of course, what Lopin called him. Rua zipped into the air. Lopin, Teft called. Stop being crazy and get over here to help. I'm not crazy, Lopin yelled back. Sure, I'm the least crazy of this whole lot, and you all know it. Together, they lashed a large platform into the air, filled with the wounded. Shouldn't they know Rua by now on... if you are talking to nothing, they're probably talking to a spren? Like, come on, yeah. Tom. Well, Lopin or... is extra crazy. Not Tom. Come on, Teft. Teft. Yeah. 
You should know. Rura zipped onto Lopin's shoulder, then thrust a hand toward the bridgeman and tried the gesture that Lopin had taught him. Nice, Lopin said, but wrong finger. Nope, not that one either. Nako, that's your foot. The spren turned the gesture toward Lopin. That's it. You can thank me, Nako, for inspiring this great advance in your learning. People, and little things made out of nothing, too, sure, are often inspired near the Lopin. He strolled into a tent full of wounded. This tent of wounded was filled with the people who had been deemed too healthy or to deserve Renarin's or Lyft's healing. They weren't dying, sure, right now. Maybe later. But everyone was dying maybe later, so it was probably alright to ignore them for someone whose guts got misplaced. Urvangian's forces had finally decided to join the battle now that all the easy stuff, like dying, which really didn't take much skill, was through. Lopin fetched his pack, then passed Drew, who is, uh, Drehi's boyfriend. Ooh. Lopin patted Drew on the shoulder. The Alethi man nodded toward Lopin, showing reddened eyes. Loving a soldier was not easy, and now that Kaladin had returned from Alethkar alone... Lopin moved on, and eventually settled down beside a wounded man. Want to see a trick? Lopin asked the soldier. The man shrugged. Lopin ties his shoelace with one hand. The soldier gave no reaction. Don't look like that. It's not the end of the world. The soldier cocked his head. Well, sure, technically it might be. But for the end of the world, it's not so bad, right? I figured that when everything ended, we'd sink into a noxious bath of pus and doom, breathing in agony as the air around us sure became molten, and we screamed a final burning scream, relishing the memories of the last time a woman loved us. Don't know about you, Mooley, but my lungs aren't burning. The air doesn't seem very molten. Considering how bad this could have gone, you've got a lot to be thankful for. Remember that. The man blinked. Lopin, now is not the time. That's the phrase to tell the woman you're seeing. Helps a ton. Want to see a trick? Lopin asked. Uh, another? The man asked. Normally I'd pop the cap off with one of my fingernails. I have great Herdazian ones. Extra hard. You have weaker ones, like most people. So here's the trick. And then Lopin uses his leg to, like, unscrew the cap of a bottle of beer, and then holds out the beer to the man. The man reached for it with the bandaged stump of his right arm. He looked at it, grimaced, then reached with the left one instead. If you need any jokes, Lopin said, I've got a few I can't use anymore. The soldier drank quietly, eyes flicking to the front of the tent, where Kaladin had entered, glowing softly, speaking with some of the surgeons. Knowing Kaladin, he was probably telling them how to do their jobs. You're one of them, the soldier said. Radiant. Sure, Lopin said, but not really one of them. I'm trying to figure out the next step. Next step? I've got the flying and the spren, but I don't know if I'm good at saving people yet. I think you might be doing just fine. That's a beer, not a person. Don't get those mixed up. Very embarrassing, but I won't tell. How... how does one join up? They say... they say it heals you. Sure, it heals everything except what's in the rock bud on the end of your neck, which is great for me. I'm the only sane one in this group. That might be a problem. Why? They say you have to be broken. You know that tall woman, the king's sister? The Chortana with the glare that could break a shard blade? She says that the power has to get inside into your soul somehow. So I've been trying to cry a lot and moan about my life being so terrible, but I think the Stormfather knows I'm lying. Hard to act sad when you're the Lopin. They're still calling I... her the king's sister, even though the king's dead? Yeah, well that's news. That's like news at this point. Like the only person that really knew that the king's that the king is dead or the people that just came out of Shadesmar an hour ago. <laughs> Wait, know? that was an like, hour ago? It hasn't been that long. We're still oh. in the aftermath of the battle right now. Oh, I thought it would have been like a day or something. No, it hasn't been a day yet. We're going to time jump in a minute. I might be broken, the man said softly. Good, good. We don't have a Thalen yet and lately it looks like we're trying to collect one of everything. We even have a parchment. <laughs> I just ask? Sure, ask. Follow us around. Worked for Lynn, but you have to say the words. Words? Life before death, strength before weakness, 
journey before pancakes. That's the easy one. Um, the hard one is, I will protect those who cannot protect themselves. And a sudden flash of coldness struck Lopin. A symbol crystallized in frost on the stones around Lopin. The ancient symbol of the Windrunners. Good job, Lopin. What? You accidentally Lopin. swore the hell. <laughs> <laughs> Lopin stood up. What? Now? He heard a far-off rumbling. Now, Lopin said, shaking a fist at the sky. I was saving that for a dramatic moment, you penhito. Why didn't you listen earlier? We were sure all about to die in things. You weren't quite ready. Storm you! Lopin made a double obscene gesture toward the sky, something he'd been waiting a long time to use properly for the first time. Rua joined him, making the same gesture, then grew two extra arms to give it more weight. Nice, Lopin said. Hey, Goncho, I'm a full knight radiant now, so you can start complimenting me. Kaladin didn't seem to have even noticed. Kaladin. Just a moment, Lopin said to the one- Kaladin! <laughs> Lopin said to the one-armed soldier, then stalked over to where Kaladin was speaking with a runner. You're sure, Kaladin said to the scribe? Does Dalinar know about this? He sent me, sir. Here's a map with the location the span read listed. Goncho! Hey, did you- Congratulations, Lopin. Good job. You're second in command after Teft until I return. Kaladin burst from the tent and lashed himself to the sky, streaking oh, away. Oh, poor Lopin. I mean, something important's happening, but also, poor Lopin. Yeah. Rua landed on his head, then proffering toward Kaladin a double rude gesture. Don't wear it out, Nako! And then we cut to Ash's point of view. Oh, Ash. Come on. Oh, yes. Okay. Come on, Ash said, holding Tong's hand. He stared at her dully. Tong, please. The last glimmers of his lucidity had faded. Oh. Once, nothing would have kept him from the battlefield when other men died. Today, he had hidden and whimpered during the fighting. Now, he followed her like a simpleton. Talonelli Lin had broken like the rest of them. Ishar, she thought. Ishar will know what to do. She fought down the tears. Watching him fade had been like watching the sun go out. All these years, she'd hoped that maybe... What? That he'd be able to redeem them? Someone nearby cursed by her name and she wanted to slap him. Don't swear by us. Don't paint pictures of us. Don't worship at our statues. She'd stamp it all out. She would ruin every depiction. Ash pulled Tom by the hand again, getting him into line with the other refugees fleeing the city. What a gift you gave them, he'd said. Time to recover for once, between desolations. Time to progress. Oh, Tom, couldn't he have just hated her? Couldn't he have let her? Ash stopped in place as something ripped inside of her. Oh, God. Oh, ad nauseum. What was that? What was that? Tawn whimpered and collapsed, a puppet with cut strings. Ash stumbled, then sank to her knees. She wrapped her arms around herself, trembling. It wasn't pain. It was something far, far worse. A loss. A hole inside of her. A piece of her soul being excised. Miss? A soldier asked. Miss, are you alright? Miss, what's wrong? They... they killed him somehow. Who? This wasn't like their other deaths. This was something horrible. She couldn't feel him at all. They'd done something to Yezrian's soul. My father, she said, is dead. I forgot that was a thing. Someone detached themselves from the group of scribes up ahead, the Blackthorn's niece. She looked at Ash, then at Tong, then at a piece of paper she'd been carrying. It contained shockingly accurate sketches of the two of them. That's his drawing style. Why has Midias been giving away pictures of us? The ripping sensation finally ended, so abruptly that, for the first time in thousands of years, Ash fell unconscious. And that is the end of the chapter. Um, yes, uh, they felt Yezrian's death. And Midias is, is, is Hoyd. Um, oh. 
That that's that's how they knew him in the past. But also, doesn't that imply that the oath, that tent of them will protect the people? Doesn't that mean that the oath is broken now that one of them is dead? Rhythm of War! Rhythm of War! Yeah, you should definitely be asking about what's going on with the Oath Pact, because uh, that's important. You're picking... Yeah, think about that. Good job. Um, I Yeah, good job. There's some... This is not good, <laughs> uh, is, is the best way to put it. Uh, next chapter is chapter 122, and it is titled A Debt Repaid. It has Dalinar's symbol, and the epigraph reads, Yes, I began my journey alone, and I ended it alone, but that does not mean that I walked alone. From the Way of Kings, postscript. And we start in Kaladin's POV. Kaladin flew along the coast of Alethkar, having been overcharged with stormlight by Dalinar before leaving. He finds a group of refugees with a tarp displaying the symbol of Bridge Four. Two figures rose from the fire. Two men, Drahi and Scar. They gave Kaladin a pair of sharp salutes. Behind them, Shallan's three servants emerged. There's also a merchant there with a span reed who had contacted them. Oh, they escaped! They escaped the. They escaped the... Kolinar. Yay! They escaped Kolinar. Cal, Scar said, "There's something we didn't mention by span reed." Kaladin frowned as Drahi returned to the fire and picked up one of the figures there. A frightened little boy, maybe three or four years they old. They got him out? Elakar's son. They got him out! We protect those, Drahi said, who cannot protect themselves. Yeah! And we cut to Taravangian's point of view. Let's go! They got him out! Taravangian was unable to solve the first page of the day's puzzles. Stupid today. He seemed to be stupid more and more often. Eight days had passed since the Battle of Thalen Field. He wasn't certain Dalinar would ever trust him again, but for now, Tarvangian was still part of the Coalition. The others discuss the diagram while he sits and waits for the Everstorm to pass Eurythiru so that they can go down to the gardens. He reads letters from his grandchildren as he waits. Moral is frustrated with the inaccuracy surrounding the diagram. The window. Open the window. Open it! Tarvangian rose from his seat. The confrontation predicted by the diagram would happen soon. We must trust in the diagram, Tarvangian whispered. We must trust the version of myself that knew what to do. We must have faith. Storms take you, Night Watcher, he thought. Odium's victory will kill you too. Couldn't you have just gifted me and not cursed me? He'd asked for the capacity to save his people. He'd begged for compassion and acumen, and he'd gotten them, just never at the same time. He touched the window shutters. Vargo, Adrutagia asked, letting in fresh air. No, unfortunately. Something else. He opened the shutters and was suddenly in a place of infinite light. Odium appeared to Taravangian as a twenty-foot-tall man. Now, Taravangian is it, little man. Why did you write to us? Why did you have your surge binder unlock the oath gate and allow our armies to attack Yerithiru? I wish only to serve you, great god, Tarvangian said, getting down onto his knees. Do not prostrate yourself. I can see that you are no sycophant, and I will not be fooled by your attempts to seem one. I am not well today, great god. I, um, am frail and of ill health. Might I meet with you again when I am well? Poor man. A chair appeared behind Tarvangian, and Odium stepped over to him, suddenly smaller. There, isn't that better? Yes, thank you. Now, 
Do you think I will ever meet with you when you are feeling well? I... Do you not realize that I chose this day specifically because of your ailment, Taravangian? Do you really think you will ever be able to negotiate with me from a position of power? No. Good, good. We understand one another. Now, what is it you have been doing? The diagram appears in the center of the room and Odium begins to look through it. Taravangian! This is remarkable! The words formed in the air around them. You did this without access to fortune or the spiritual realm? Truly incredible. Th thank you. Allow me to show you how far I see. Golden words exploded outward from the ones Taravangian had written. Each took one small amount the element that Taravangian had written and expanded upon it in volumes and volumes worth of information. I see. Take over Alethkar. Bold plan, bold plan. But why invite me to your to attack? Why did you invite me to attack your Ethiru? We no need, I see. Give up Thalen City to ensure that the Blackthorn fell, removing your opposition. An overture toward me, which worked, obviously. Odium turned to him and smiled. My grandchildren, he thought. The people of Cobranth. The good people of the world. He trembled to think of what might happen to them all. Somebody had to make the difficult decisions. A section of words had faded from golden to black. As he drew near, Taravangian saw that the words were blacked out into eternity starting from this point on his wall, as if something had happened here, a ripple in what Odium could see. At its root, a name. Winarin Colin. Dalinar was not supposed to ascend. You need me. I need nobody. Not Taravangian looked up. to ascend. To ascend. And Ascent is capitalized. Don't ask me why. Mm -hmm. I don't know. But Odium said it, so it means something. Uh-huh. Taravangian looked up. A message from himself in the past. Had he somehow seen even this? Thank you. You have agreed to a battle of champions. You must withdraw to prevent this contest from occurring, and so must not meet with Dalinar Colin again. Otherwise, he can force you to fight. This means you must let your agents do your work. You need me. Your passion does you credit. What is it you ask in barter? Protect the people I rule. Dear Taravangian, do you not think I can see what you are planning? You would seek to become king of all humans, and then I would need to preserve them all. No. If you help me, I will save your family. Anyone within two generations of you. Not enough. Then we have no deal. He blinked tears away from the corners of his eyes. Carbranth. Preserve only Carbranth. You may destroy all other nations. Just leave my city. It is what I beg of you. The world was lost. Humankind doomed. They had planned to protect so much more. But he saw now how little they knew. One city before the storms. One land protected even if the rest had to be sacrificed. Carbranth. The city itself and any humans who have been born into it along with their spouses. This is whom I will spare. Do you agree to this? Should we write a contract? Our word is the contract. I am not some spren of honor who seeks to obey only the strictest letter of a promise. If you have an agreement from me, I will keep it in spirit, not merely in word. I will take this deal. The diagram will serve you in exchange for the preservation of my people. But I warn you, the assassin has joined Dalinar Colin. I was forced to reveal my association with him. I know. 
you are still of use. First, I will require that honor blade which you have so cleverly stolen. And then, you will find out for me what the Alethi have discovered about this tower. And we cut away. So the diagram is going to serve Odium. Thanks, Taravangian. We cut to Shallan's POV. Shallan creates a, a map of Roshar for the assembled generals. Uh, her and Adolin are being more flirty than usual, as they now have a wedding date set for about a week from then. A she week? decides that Vale. Yeah, they're getting married. She decides that Vale will be the one to explain the ghost bloods to Adolin. He had refused to be intimate with her, but treated her like a drinking buddy. Dalinar is Shallan changed the color of parts of the map to indicate who held what land. And I'm just going to send you a link to the map. Um, I'm going to send you an image. Um, yellow is Odium. Uh, red is the coalition. And green is independent. Um, but that is what the world looks like at the end of Oathbringer. Um, the generals want to see seize the like swatch of green between Yaakoved and Azir so that they can like connect the coalition and not have it be uh, splintered in half by uh, the, the enemy. And then Dalinar connects with Shallan and give, uh, gives her an image of what the Stormfather sees when he goes over Kolinar and has her create that as an illusion. They see that the enemy has raised their own flags over the city. They want their world back, Shallan said. Could we just let them have what they've taken? No, Dalinar said. So long as Odium leads the enemy, they will try to sweep us off this land and make the world so it has no need of another desolation because we'll be gone. They had protected Thalena, but had lost the Alethi homeland. There's a traitor among us. Someone attacked Bridge 4 specifically to get the Honor Blade, because they needed it to unlock the Oath Gates and let the enemy in. That, Shallan said, or it was unlocked by a Radiant who has changed sides. Inexplicably, the assassin in white had joined them. He sat outside the room, guarding the door as Dalinar's new bodyguard. He'd explained that the majority of the Order of the Skybreakers had chosen to serve Odium. You think, Adolin said, Tarvangian might have done it? No, Dalinar said. Why would he work with the enemy? Everything he's done so far has been to secure a safe Roshar, if through brutal means. Still, I have to wonder. Uh -huh. I can't afford to be too trusting. Hopefully that's one thing Sadius cured in me. Uh -huh. The Blackthorn looked to Shallan and Adolin. Either way, Alethkar needs a king. More so now than ever. The heir, Adolin began. Too young. This isn't time for the regency. Gavinor can be named Gavinor can be named your heir, Adolin, but we must see you two married and the monarchy secured, for the good of Alethkar, but also the world. The coalition needs more than I can provide. I will continue to lead it, but I have never been a good at diplomacy. Like, hey, you don't I get a choice, the... you gotta be king now. I need someone on the throne who can inspire Alethkar and command the respect of the monarchs. You can be this man if you want, Shallan thought to Adolin, but you don't have to be what he makes of you. I'll prepare the coalition for your coronation, perhaps the day before the wedding. He turned to walk away. Adolin set his jaw and seized his father by the arm. I killed Sadius. Dalinar froze. It was me. I broke the codes of war and killed him in the corridor, for speaking against our family, for betraying us time and time again. I stopped him because it needed to be done and because I knew you would never be able to do it. What? Son, why did you hide this from me? Because you're you. We can fix this. We can see that atonement is made. It will hurt our reputation. Storms, this is not what I needed right now. Nevertheless, we will fix it. It's already fixed. I'm not sorry for what I did, and I'd do it again, right now. We'll talk about this further once the coronation. I'm not going to be king, father. Didn't you listen to what I just said? I broke the codes. Everyone in this storming country breaks the codes. 
I broke the codes hundreds of times. You don't have to be perfect. You only have to do your duty. No. I'll be High Prince, but not King. I just... No. I don't want that burden. And before you complain that none of us want it, I'd also be terrible at the job. <laughs> you think the monarchs would listen to me? I can't be King of Alethkar. I have to lead the Radiance and need to divest myself of that power in Alethkar to move away from that High King nonsense. We need a ruler in Alethkar who won't be pushed over, but who can also deal with diplomats in diplomatic ways. Well, that's not me, Adolin repeated. Who then? Shalon cocked her head. Hey, have you boys ever considered... And we cut away to Polona, who's Sabariel's wife. Polona skimmed through the latest gossip reports out of Tashik, looking for the juicy stuff. Around her, kings and princes squabbled with one another. Some complained that they weren't allowed to join whatever meeting Dalinar was having on the floor above with his generals. The Nautans still complained that they should be given control of the Oathgate at the Shattered Plains. While the Azish were talking again about how God himself had apparently prophesied that Surgebinders would destroy the world. Everyone is quite persistent. And quite loud. Sabariel, Turi, snored softly beside Polona. That was an act. He did the same fake snore when she tried to tell him about the latest novel she'd read. Then, when she quit, he got annoyed. He seemed to like hearing the stories. She nudged him, and he cracked an eye. Yazir and Imul, she whispered. The prince and princess were seen together in Thalen City, speaking intimately while their guards worked in the rubble. Turi grunted. Everyone thinks their romance is back on, though they can't talk about it, as head monarchs and Aesir are forbidden marriage without the Emperor's consent. But the rumors are wrong. I think she's been courting Halam Kal, the Shardbearer. You could just go talk to her, Turi said. Oh, Turi, you can't just ask people about gossip. This is why you're hopeless. And here I thought I was hopeless because of my terrible taste in women. The doors to the room slammed open. Even Turi sat up to note Yasna Kolin standing in the doorway. She wore a small but unmistakable crown on her head. The <gasps> Colin family, it. it seemed, had chosen their new monarch. Let's go! Turi grinned at the looks of worry on the faces of many of the others in the room. Oh my, he whispered to Polona. Now this should be interesting. Let's go! And we cut, we cut back to Moash's point of view. Moash pounded the pickaxe down again. Kill a god, get back to work. He was surprised when he heard another pick fall beside him. Ken, you were freed from your slavery. Ken kept working. Nam and Paul stepped in. They lifted the picks and started breaking stones too. Paul, you... They want us to farm. I'm tired of farming. And I'm no house servant, Ken said, running drinks. So you'll break rocks? We heard something. Made us want to be near you. Moash hesitated, but then the numbness drove him to keep working. It was maybe an hour later when they came for him. Nine flying fused. Leshwi, he asked. Ancient one? She held something before herself. A long, slender weapon. A shard blade. Moash had known it as the Sword of the Assassin in White. Now he recognized it as something else. The Blade of Yezerize. Honor Blade. If you take it, you die. Moash will be no more. Moash's world is no more, he said, taking the blade. He might as well join it in the tomb. Vire, she said. Join us in the sky. You have a work. Hesitant, Moash took the sphere that Ken offered. What was that, she said? Vire? It's one of their names, Ken said. I've been told it means he who quiets. Vire, he who quiets, sucked in the light of the sphere. It was sweet and beautiful, and as he'd prom been promised, brought passion with it. He held to it, then lashed himself upward into the sky. And that is where we leave... Vire for this book. Huh. 
No longer Moash, now Vire. Interesting. I'm not going to remember that. We cut. (laughs) (laughs) He's, you'll remember when we get to it in half a year. Yeah. uh, In Rhythm of War. (laughs) We cut to Shallan's point of view. And unfortunately, Mango, I have to tell you that Brandon commits kind of a sin here because he does not show us Shallan and Adolin's marriage. What? Um, he has said that he thought having both Dalinar and Navani's marriage at the beginning and then Adolin and Shallan's at the end would be too much. Oh, come on. You can't do that. Everybody everybody is like, nah, you should have you should have put it in. And even now, I'm pretty sure he has agreed like, yeah, I, I should have. Just write an insert chapter and put it on your website and everyone can pretend yeah, that I, that was part of the book. I think he said that he he's thought about doing that one day. Maybe just writing the chapter and posting it online. Do it. Um, for people. Do it. But, yes. But she um she got some standard gifts and some fun ones. Lyft gave her a dried fish. Kaladin gave her a pair of boots. You know, continuing that whole joke <laughs> that they've had going on. Um, yeah. Eli, Sadius' wife, had left Yurathiva recently after all the stuff that happened in Thalen City. Seeing as, you know, her army turned against the coalition. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, the three identities are all agreeing on the choice to marry Adolin, and Shallan is realizing that it's okay for her to be happy. Aww. And then the door opened, revealing three young men in worn clothing. Balat, Wickham, and Jushu. Her brothers. Shallan cried out in delight, throwing herself toward them. How? When? What happened? It was a long trek across Yakaved, Nan Balat said. Shallan, we didn't hear anything until we were transported here through that device. You're getting married? The son of the Blackthorn? She found herself too overwhelmed to talk, to explain. Balot handed her a slip of paper. He said to give you this. Who? He said you'd know. What is going on? How do you know people like that? She unfolded the letter. It was from Marais. Navani takes the three boys away, joining Ailita, who is not Balot's wife, who is also there. Um, and her, her brothers are back. They were alive. Well, those three of them. Yeah, well, Helleran's dead, but... Yeah, <laughs> those three. Yeah. Those three are alive. Yeah, yeah. Look, we got we got a seventy five percent success rate. Okay, uh, we're, I we're wouldn't call good. it a success rate with how they're doing <laughs> mentally. So, hey, well, you know what? Maybe Hoyd can help him. Mm. Did Hoyd help her? Yeah, the whole accepting that she's allowed to be happy was what Hoyd told her in Colin. Oh, I meant like, like back that... way back when when he basically was getting her to oh, show her yeah, house. No, <laughs> no, it didn't help at all. <laughs> no, the note reads. A wedding gift, in payment for work done. You will find that I do keep my promises. I apologize for the delay. I congratulate you on your upcoming nuptials, little knife. You have done well. You have frightened away the unmade who is in this tower, and in payment, we forgive a part of your debt owed from the destruction of our soulcaster. Your next mission is equally important. One of the unmade seems willing to break from odium. Our good and that of your radiant friends align. You will find this unmade, and you will persuade it to serve the ghost bloods. Barring that, you will capture it and deliver it to us. Details will be forthcoming. So Moraes knew about Sajah not. Did he know about Renarin accidentally bonding one of her spren? Or was that a secret Shallan actually had over the ghost bloods? Well, she could worry about him later. She pulled open the door and strode out, toward a celebration of being herself. Um... But yeah, that's the only time they really like explicitly mention what happened. We know that Sajah not corrupts Spren. She corrupted the Truth Watcher Spren that Renarin bonded. And that's why his powers are weird and derived of Odium. Mm, but she's the one that might serve them instead? She wants to, at the very least, break away from Odium. She's helped them throughout the book a little bit. 
So, hmm, who knows exactly what her motivations are is yet? That, but... Is that the one who had corrupted the the Oathgate's Oathgate. friend, but was like, don't do them. this. Don't use yes, it. Yes, that was her. That's, yep, that's the genre. Uh, this is the last main character POV before the epilogue. It is Dalinar's POV. Dalinar entered his rooms. The assassin settled down outside his door to wait. Zeth was the only guard Dalinar had for the moment. His previous set had become Tef's squires. Dalinar smiled to himself, then walked to his desk and settled down. A shard blade hung on the wall before him. A temporary place. He'd find it a home. For now, he wanted it near. It was time. He picked up the pen and started writing. He worked at it a good hour before Navani returned. A son married. Adolin was not the man Dalinar had thought he was. But then, couldn't he forgive someone for that? He dipped his pen and continued writing. Navani walked up and placed hands on his shoulders. Here, tell me what you think. I've run into a problem. And they go through this funny little back and forth where he's like, I don't know how to write I. And she's like, I showed you how to write I. And he's like, no, but you showed me how to write the feminine I. I don't know how to write the masculine I. And she's like, well, about that. Uh, no, no, no. She's like, actually, there is a, a way to write I like from another person's point of view that is masculine. So this is how we do it. But like, they're pointing out that like, a lot of the language is written with like feminine um, denotions and that they're going to have to start to like think about how like they're going to have to really solidify male male denotions if uh, men are going to start writing. Yeah, because the women are women are the only ones who write. And so they would also. Except for Ardents. Well, yeah, except for that. But Ar Ardents, um, she mentions that there's like a neutered denotion that's like a sexless kind of. Wow, so they have like a genderless one, but they don't have a ma male they have a one. Genderless. They they have a male one. It's just that it's so f it's not frequently used. So people don't know it. So it took her a second to remember it. We took shard blades from the women. He thought, and they seized literacy from us. Who got the better deal? I wonder. Uh, Navani asks, like, "Hey, what do you think is going to happen with Kadash and the Ardents? Uh, like, with you learning to read? Like, you've already been excommunicated. Do you really want to continue to push it?" And Dalinar's like, no, I, I think they'll be okay. Because remember, he had that whole conversation with Kadash about how, like, maybe the Ardens don't like Dalinar right now, but their people, Dalinar's people need them, so they're going to stick around. Um, and Dalinar also says that he's seen Kadash reading, like, ancient writings, trying to find a justification for Voronism. And Dalinar suggests that Kadash is going to end up, like, educating himself into atheism, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> or agnosticism because Dalinar isn't an atheist he just doesn't believe in Voronism well, so, well not the um, way it's presented he believes in the gods he just doesn't believe in worshipping them the way that the Vorans worship them. he doesn't believe in the Voran gods he believes in like a new religion kind of like he thinks there's something beyond Voranism well yeah I guess um, you could say it like yeah. that it's kind of like a mm. hey it's more than just the almighty there's a whole lot more going out out there so like i believe in him yeah but not the way mm -hmm. you do <laughs> yeah yeah and then uh i'm gonna read what he has written here the most important words a man can say are i will do better these are not the most important words any man can say i am a man and they are what i needed to say the ancient code of the knight's radiance says a journey before destination some may call it a simple platitude but it is far more a journey will have pain and failure it is not only the steps forward that we must accept it is the stumbles, the trials, the knowledge that we will fail, that we will hurt those around us. But if we stop, if we accept the person we are when we fall, the journey ends. 
that failure becomes our destination. To love the journey is to accept no such end. I have found, through painful experience, that the most important step a person can take is always the next one. I'm certain some will feel threatened by this record. Some few may feel liberated. Most will simply feel that it should not exist. I needed to write it anyway. Now, if those last few lines sound familiar, it is because that is how the very first epigraphs of this book started. The epigraphs for part one are uh, Dalinar's book. Um, I think you had suggested that maybe Yasna wrote the book, and it was about, like, it was because it, it was about somebody who was a heretic, but it is, um, it is Dalinar. I don't remember that at all. That was, like, yeah, It was most... six months yeah. ago. It was, Yeah. I think if I probably, by, if we had gotten closer to the end of the book and I'd been like, hey, what do you think about those epigraphs and had you reread them? You might've been like, I wonder if Dalinar is going to write that. Because like once you know a story arc in the book, it becomes a little obvious yeah. that it's him. That's I mean, I wouldn't it. have thought but, it was um, Dalinar because I didn't think he was going to learn how to write. <laughs> yeah. But at the beginning, it's like, it could only be Yasna. But uh, yeah. Sanderson's good like that. He sat back, pleased. It seemed that in opening this doorway, he had entered a new world. He could read The Way of Kings. He could read his niece's biography of Gavilar. He could write down his own orders for men to follow. Most importantly, he could write this. His thoughts, his pains, his life. Would you close the balcony doors again? The sunlight is distracting me from the other light. Other light? Navani asked. He nodded absently. What next? He looked up again at the familiar shard blade. Rock had insisted that Dalinar take Oathbringer back. A debt repaid, the Windrunner had explained. Reluctantly, Dalinar had accepted. As Navani shut the balcony doors, he closed his eyes and felt the warmth of a distant, unseen light. Then he smiled, and he took another page and wrote a title for the book. Oathbringer, My Glory and My Shame. Written by the hand of Dalinar Colin. Let's go. And now, I pull out my physical book as I do at the end of each of these. To read the epilogue. To flip to the epilogue, which is titled Great Art. Let's see, can I get my wit voice immediately? <clears throat> All great art is hated, Wit said. He shuffled in line along with a couple hundred other people, one dreary step. It is obscenely difficult, if not impossible, to make something that nobody hates, Wit continued. Conversely, it is incredibly easy, if not, if not expected, to make something that nobody loves. Weeks after the fall of Kolinar, the palace or the place still smelled like smoke. Though the city's new masters had moved tens of thousands of humans out to work farms, complete resettlement would take months, if not years. Wit poked the man in front of him in the shoulder. This makes sense, if you think about it. Art is about, about emotion, examination, and going places people have never gone before to discover and investigate new things. The only way to create something that nobody hates is to ensure that it can't be loved either. Remove enough spice from soup, and you'll just end up with water. Yeah, J.J. Abrams! You hear that? If you just try to please everybody, your movie's gonna fucking suck. Anyway, sorry, I don't know what came over me. That was, I don't know, that was, ooh, I, don't, I don't know what that was. Something else. Which just, J.J. Abrams something else. movie could you possibly be talking uh, about? Uh, uh, definitely not the finale of a 50-year running, um, or nearly 50-year-old American institution. No, not at all. Mm -mm. Um, the British man in front eyed him, then turned back to the line. Human taste is as varied as human fingerprints. Nobody will like everything. Everybody dislikes something. Everyone loves that thing you hate. But at least being hated is better than nothing. To risk metaphor, a grand painting is often about contrast. Brightest brights, darkest darks, not gray mush. That a thing is hated is not proof that it's great art. 
but the lack of hatred is certainly proof that it is not. They shuffled forward another step. He poked the man in the shoulder again. And so, dear sir, when I say that you are the very embodiment of repulsiveness, I am merely looking to improve my art. You look so ugly, it seems that someone tried and failed to get the warts off your face through ex aggressive application of sandpaper. <laughs> you are less a human being and more a lump of dung with aspirations. If someone took a stick and beat you repeatedly, it could only serve to improve your features. Your face defies description, but only because it nauseated all the poets. You are what parents use to frighten children into obedience. I tell you to put a sack over your head, but think of the poor sack. Theo theo theologians use you as a proof that God exists, because such hideousness can only be intentional. The man didn't respond. Wit poked him again, and he muttered something in Thalen. You don't speak Alethi, do you? Of course you don't. Figured. Well, repeating all that in Thalen would be monotonous, so Wit cut in front of the man in line. This finally provoked a response. The beefy man grabbed Wit and spun him around, then punched him right in the face. Wit fell backward onto the stone ground. The line continued its shuffling motion, the occupants refusing to look at him. Cautiously, he prodded at his mouth. Yes, it seemed. One of his teeth popped out. Success, he said in Thalen, speaking with a faint lisp. <laughs> Thank you, my- <laughs> I'm not going to do a lisp, it'll be offensive. Thank you, dear man. I'm glad you appreciate my performance art, accomplished by cutting in front of you. Wit flicked the tooth aside and stood up, starting to dust off his clothing. He then stopped himself. After all, he'd worked hard to place that dust. He shoved hands in the pockets of his ragged brown coat, then slouched his way through an alley. He passed groaning humans crying for deliverance, for mercy. He absorbed that, letting it reflect in him. Not a mask he put on. Real sorrow. Real pain. Weeping echoed around him as he moved into the section of town nearest the palace. Only the most desperate or the most broken dared remain here, nearest the invaders and their growing seed of power. He rounded to the courtyard out in front of the steps leading up. Was it time for his big performance? Strangely, he found himself reluctant. Once he walked up those steps, he was committing to leaving the city. He'd found a much better audience among these poor people than he had among the light eyes of Alethkar. He'd enjoyed his time here. On the other hand, if Race learned that Wit was in the city, he'd order, he'd order his forces to level it, and would consider that a cheap price for even the slimmest chance of ending him. Wit lingered, then moved through the courtyard, speaking softly with several of the people he'd come to know over the weeks. He eventually squatted next to Kenny, who still rocked her empty cradle, staring with haunted eyes across the square. The question becomes, he whispered to her, how many people need to love a piece of art to make it worthwhile? If you're inevitably going to inspire hate, then how much enjoyment is needed to balance out the risk? She didn't respond. Her husband, as usual, hovered nearby. How's my hair? Wit asked Kenny, or lack thereof. Again, no response. The missing tooth is a new addition, Wit said, poking at the hole. I think it will add that special touch. He had a few days with his healing repressed, until the tooth grew back. That right concoction had made him lose his hair in patches. Should I put an eye out? Kenny looked at him, incredulous. So you are listening. He patted her on the shoulder. One more. One more, then I go. Wait here, he told her then went walking along an alley to the north. He scooped up some rags, the remnants of a Spren costume. He didn't see many of those around anymore. He took a cord from his pocket and twisted it around the rags. Nearby, several buildings had fallen to the Thunderclass attacks. He felt life from one, and then, when he drew close, a dirty little face poked out from some rubble. He felt life, life sense. Uh, it's one of the things, I don't know if you remember from Warbreaker, 
but life sense is one of the awakening powers. Oh yeah, you can sense people around you. Mm-hmm. He smiled at the little girl. Your teeth look funny today, she said to him. I take exception to that, as the funny part is not the teeth, but the lack of tooth. He held out his hand to her, but she ducked back in. I can't leave Mama, she whispered. I understand, Wit said. He took the rags and cord he'd worked with earlier, forming them into the shape of a little doll. The answer to the question has been bothering me for some time. The little girl poked out again, looking at the doll. The question? I asked it earlier. You couldn't hear. Do you know the answer? You're weird. Right answer, but wrong question. He walked the little doll along the broken street. For me, the girl whispered, I need to leave the city, and I can't take her with me. Someone needs to take care of her. A grimy hand reached toward the doll, but Wit pulled it back. She's afraid of the darkness. You've got to keep her in the light. The hand vanished into the shadows. I can't leave Mama. That's too bad, Wit said. He raised the doll to his lips, then whispered a choice set of words. When he set it down, it started to walk on its own. A soft gasp sounded inside the shadows. The little doll toddled toward the street, step by step by step. The girl, maybe four, five, four years old, finally emerged from the shadows and ran to get the doll. Wit stood and dusted off his coat, which was now gray. The girl hugged the patchwork creation and he picked her up, turning away from the broken building and the bones of a leg sticking from the rubble just inside. He carried the girl back to the square, then quietly pushed the empty cradle away from Kenny and knelt before her. I think in answer to my question, I think it only takes one. She blinked, then focused on the child in his arms. I have to leave the city, and someone needs to take care of her. He waited until at long last, last Kenny held out her arms. Wit put the child into them, then rose. Kenny's husband took him by the arm, smiling. Can you not stay a little longer? I should think you were the first to ever ask me that, Cobb, and in truth the sentiment frightens me. He hesitated, then leaned down and touched the doll in the child's hands. Forget what I told you before. Instead, take care of her. He turned and started up the steps toward the palace. He adopted the act as he walked, the twitch of madness, the shuffle to his step. He squinted one eye and hunched over, changing his breathing to come raggedly, with occasional sharp intakes. He muttered to himself and exposed his teeth, but not the one that was missing, for that was impossible. He passed into the shadow of the palace, and the sentry hovering in the air nearby, wind whip rippling her long clothing. Vatwa was her name. Thousands of years ago, he'd shared a dance with her. Like all the others, she'd later been trained to watch for him. But not well enough. As he passed underneath, she gave him the barest of glances. He decided not to take that as an insult. It was what he wanted. He needed to be soup so bland it was water. When a what a conundrum. In this case, his art was best when ignored. Perhaps he would need to revise his philosophy. He passed the sentry post and wondered if anyone else thought it irregular that the few spent so much time here near this fallen section of the palace. Did anyone wonder why they worked so hard, clearing blocks, breaking down walls? It was good to know that his heart could still flutter at a performance. He ducked in close to the work project, and a pair of more mundane singer guards cursed at him to move on toward the gardens, with the other beggars. He bowed several times, then tried to sell them some trinkets from his pocket. One shoved him away, and so he acted panicked, scrambling past them and up a ramp into the work project itself. Nearby, some workers broke rocks, and a patch of blood stained the ground. The two singer guards shouted at him to get out, would adopted a frightened look, and hurried to obey, but tripped himself so he fell against the wall of the palace, a portion that was still standing. 
Look, he whispered to the wall. You don't have many choices right now. Above, the fuse turned to look at him. I know you'd rather have someone else, but it isn't the time to be picky. I'm certain now that the reason I'm in the city is to find you. The two singer guards approached, one bowing apologetically to the fused in the air. They still didn't realize that sort of behavior would not impress the ancient singers. It's either you, it's either go with me now, Wit said to the wall, or wait it out and get captured. I honestly don't even know if you've the mind to listen. But if you do, know this. I will give you truths, and I know some juicy ones. The guards reached him. Wit pushed against them, slamming himself against the wall again. Something slipped from one of the cracks in the wall, a moving pattern that dimpled the stone. It crossed to his hand, which he tucked into his rags as the guards seized him under the arms and hauled him out into the gardens, then tossed him among the beggars there. Once they were gone, Wit rolled over and looked at the pattern that now covered his palm. It seemed to be trembling. Life before death, little one, Wit whispered. The end of book three of the Stormlight Archive. Wit just bonded Elokar's spren. Elokar's spren. That's why they were tearing down the walls near where um, Elokar had died. They were trying to get the spren, like, they were trying to trap it on a wall so they could get it. Why were they trying but, uh, to get it? Because they don't want it to go bond someone else. <laughs> that feels like, that feels like a waste. Like, spren can just leave. Unfortunately for them... It just bonded probably the most dangerous being on the planet. Yeah. And with that, Wit collects yet another form of magic in the Cosmere. Uh, now he's a radiant in addition to everything <laughs> else. Uh, the last little thing I'll read from the book is the end note, which is um, the end note is always like putting all of the part titles together to form the poem. And so the poem is United New Beginning Sing Defying truth, love, truth defy, sing beginnings, new unity. And the kind of undernote is, it is a katek written by Yasna Kolin on the occasion of her ward Shalon Devar's wedding celebration. So it is a poem celebrating Shalon and Adolin's marriage. Um, I guess the last thing I'll ask you before we end, I mean, immediate thought, I guess, but what, what, what do you know how you would rank the books or do they all kind of just blend together? I feel like... I know we, I personally, I needed to separate the ending to this book into mm -hmm. multiple parts mentally, yeah. but I also yeah. feel like that made yes. it super anticlimactic. Which is okay. Look, it's what, it's, uh, you know, it's what you needed. So it's, it's fine. But, uh, I do think that like, you definitely got a different experience with the ending yeah. than like I did, which is so, okay. So I know I you right. mentioned that you really like the endings of part three and part five yes. in this book and i did yes. not experience that partially because yeah it had to be split up but also just because i don't know i didn't like them as much yeah yeah hey that's fine i this is my best friend's least favorite stormlight <laughs> i like the finales of the previous two books more uh thank you so much mango for sitting through this fucking behemoth of a book with me you are free now uh for for a little oh, while before we start on on mistborn um i need that but, uh, i need that i really need that yeah take that freedom run for it for, run with it uh mistborn will be hopefully a little more exciting in that like he writes them to be kind of pulp fictiony in that like a lot of means. shit happens like it's very action it's like very action packed 
it's less like, oh, we're talking like it's not like we're not spending a hundred thousand words on Kaladin's depression. Yeah, you know, like it's it, it's it's a uh, it's a it, lot less of a character study. A lot less of a slow burn, even though the beginning of Mistborn yes. definitely feels like a slow burn. Oh, oh my god. Yeah, but we'll we'll I mean starting Mistborn, we'll get to some fun stuff pretty quick. But um, yes. We have a Discord. The link is in the episode description. You guys can follow us on Twitter at SpeakStormlight. You guys can email us at SpeakTowardsASP at gmail.com. You guys can follow me on Twitter at Sean underscore AFK. And our cover art was made by our good friend Alks. That's at Alks underscore Big Boy on Twitter. Uh, Alright, why don't you say the words, Mango? Life before death. Strength before weakness. And journey before destination. <laughs> <laughs>